Good afternoon. We're uh, continuing our series of paradoxes of Christianity, and for today the topic is uh, the paradox of Christianity, freedom versus submission. And I think when people approach the Bible, sometimes it's easy to get the feeling or to get the impression that God wants us to submit, God wants us to let go of our uh, natural inhibitions, and, uh, and at the same time there are times where God promises freedom, and so we're going to be discussing this today. Uh, but before we start, I want to show you a few pieces of art, and uh, just as I share with you this art, uh, art, I'd like you to just think through, um, yeah, just what what your impressions are of the artwork that I show you. The first few series of pieces that I'm going to show you are uh, called um, they're art pieces that are that are drawn or painted in the uh, naturalism type of. Uh, style of artwork, if you will. And so here's the first piece of artwork. Now, I tried to fiddle with the colors to um, make sure that what you're seeing up here is what you're seeing down there, but it didn't completely match. But um, anyway, you kind of get a feel for what I'm talking about. So this is the first piece of artwork. Um, it's painted in the uh, naturalism style. And if you look at the definition of naturalism, uh, naturalism is a type of art that pays attention to very accurate and precise details and portrays things as they are. In other words, lines are very, very important in the naturalistic type of artwork because lines give definition. Uh, lines determine what is exactly being portrayed or what's being painted. And so here's a, here's a second piece of artwork that's painted in the naturalism style. And uh, if you look at the artwork, uh, the artist has taken a lot of um, effort into making sure that someone knows what it's like to have the moon kind of shining in the background on a cloudy night. Um, and then you can kind of see the silhouette of this gate. And then over here you have this gathering with fire. And there's a lot of attention to detail. And if you look at the artwork, you know exactly what you're looking at. Now having said that, I want to show you a second or a different kind of artwork. And this is uh, this kind of artwork is used with a technique called drip paint. And here's the second kind. Now, if I were to ask you, what are you looking at, would you be able to tell me? So there is a famous painter in, uh, who, who lived between about uh, 1915 to around the early 1950s. And his name was Jackson Pollock. And he used this technique called the drip technique. And basically, uh, there was a guy who commented on Pollock's uh, style of artwork. And he says, Pollock has managed to free line, not only from its function of representing objects in the world, but also from its task of describing or bounding shapes or figures, whether abstract or representational, on the surface of the canvas. In other words, Pollock's, uh, Jackson Pollock is one of the most famous painters from America. And uh, basically, he spent a good portion of his professional career trying to figure out how to free art. And he was so frustrated by the restriction that lines gave. And so he kind of mulled over, how do I do this? And he came across something called sand painting. And he came up with this technique called, uh, or he came up, he became famous for this technique called drip technique. And basically, um, when photographers would come in to watch him paint, they would see him standing on this huge canvas. Uh, one of his most famous paintings are about 8 feet by 20 feet um, long, which covered a 
a very good portion of a room, and he would stand in the middle of this canvas with uh, with uh, empty, or excuse me, with a uh, bucket of house paint, and he would kind of fling paint everywhere with a dried up paintbrush or with a knife or sometimes with shards of glass, and he would just walk all over his painting. And uh, anyway, this is uh, this is probably one of his more famous paintings. Sorry for the pixelation, but um, basically. Uh, this is kind of what he came up with. Now, can you guess how much this painting was sold for, or how much his paintings were sold for in a rough, rough figure? Four dollars and fifty cents. Fifty-five cents plus a few million. <laughs> and Jackson Pollock was basically one of the very few painters who made it big in his lifetime. And so um, you have people like Leonardo da Vinci, and basically, um, or excuse me. Yeah, Leonardo da Vinci, and basically his paintings became famous after he died. And what you'll find is a lot of artists die, and then 50, 70, 100 years later, they become really famous. Well, this guy became a millionaire in his lifetime, and so when people would look at this artwork, they would say, this guy is the greatest painter that's come out of this age. And so, anyway, this guy became very famous. So, my question to you is this. From... Option number one, the first style of painting versus the second style of painting, and you don't have to raise your hand or anything like that. Which one do you prefer? Do you prefer the structured line that kind of uh, that accurately represents what it's trying to draw, or do you do you prefer the free line where there are no boundaries, and perhaps the only boundary is that there are no boundaries? Which one would you consider artwork? Okay. Now, the reason why I ask this question as you think through it is because I wonder if we can approach Christianity in the same way. There are certain elements of Christianity that show boundaries, and then there are other elements of Christianity that reveal freedom. And I want to share a few Bible verses with you today. So in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus has this famous line, and he's trying to explain what it means to follow him as a disciple. And Jesus says, if anyone wishes to follow me, he must take up his cross and follow me. And there are other passages that say, uh, if any man will come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. And that element of picking up the cross, uh, there's an element of, of sacrifice, of submission, and even of death, if you will, death of self. On the other hand, you have John chapter 10, verse 10. And the same person speaking, Jesus says, I have come, I came that they might have life and life more abundantly. And there's this promise of if you follow Jesus, there's peace, there's security, there's freedom, there's limitless option of growth and character development. And uh, it, sounds, it sounds quite nice, but you've got that opposite element. And so, um, yeah, there are, other, there are other examples of the Bible. For example, the Ten Commandments, they can seem as restrictive. If you look at um, eight of the Ten Commandments, uh, there are eight commandments of omission. In other words, there are eight times in the Ten Commandments where it says, do not do this. Now, if someone says, do not do this, is that restrictive or is that free? What do you think? Whenever Micah uh, is about to do something he knows he's not supposed to do, he'll turn around and he'll smile at me. Like There's, there's like a 
power socket, right? There's like a whole wall of nothing and one tiny spot where there's like a power socket and he'll try and wiggle his little finger in there and he'll look at me and smile. And he knows when I say no, it's a thing of restriction. Even though there's the whole wall that he can play on, he goes to that one spot. Anyway, so eight out of the ten commandments are commandments of omission. Two of the commandments are uh, commandments of commission. In other words, a dead person can keep eight out of the ten commandments because they're things that you should not do. Now, on the other hand, if you look at the commandments from a love perspective, you can say, well, the commandments say, you, you can categorize the first four commandments in terms of loving God. You can categorize the final six uh, part of the commandments as loving your neighbor, and love is something that's quite freeing. And so, basically, the, the Bible kind of, uh, yeah, shows two different sides of, of submission and freedom. And so, um, yeah, I, I spent some time thinking about this, and this was kind of sparked by a conversation that I had with a guy from Melbourne Uni. He was just a student on campus, and I was just doing some surveys, and I asked him, hey, um, you know, I just want to know if you've ever uh, heard about Christianity or ever wondered about the Bible, and I sat down and we started chatting, and he kind of said, well, you know, I've spent some time studying Buddhism, and I feel like Christianity and Buddhism are, are very similar. And I find actually most world religions are quite similar in that it's just basically one comes to the point where they uh, are comfortable letting go of all worldly ambition, and as a result, they find freedom. Because uh, in abstinence, there is freedom once you lose that desire for that which you want, and that way you freed yourself. And uh, I spent some time thinking about that, wondering, you know, I do feel a lot of times as a Christian that um, my conscience speaks to me when I'm about to do something. My conscience is like, no, you're not supposed to do that. And there's a bit of restriction there. or uh, And that happens quite regularly. And I thought, well, maybe maybe Christianity and Buddhism are the same, are, are very similar. And I wonder if it really matters. And uh, the more the more I, the more more I time I've spent thinking about this and the different Bible texts that I've that I've come across since then uh, really gave me a different uh, different perspective on this, and I want to share it with you. So here's the first text. It's found in Psalm chapter 37, verse 4. And um, if you guys can help me, and we'll read together on three. One, two, three. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, this verse shares this promise that if we can delight ourselves in the Lord, that he will give us what we really want. And um, he's not talking about abstinence. He's talking about realization and experience. And so when I look at this verse, there is an element of submission because that first part of the verse says, delight yourself in the Lord. In other words, if there's something that uh, the Lord doesn't delight in, then there's an element of abstinence from that, uh, from that, uh, whatever that may be. And yet, in that abstinence, there is a realization and an experience of the desires of your heart. In other words, God is saying, I'll give you what you really want. And that's kind of the, the challenge of following after Jesus. Is there are times where um, we want something, but we're not really sure what we want. And so there's some assistance that's given. Um, it's kind of amazing how the Bible makes more sense now that I have a baby. But um, there are times where Micah is really tired, and he's really, really grumpy. I think last night was a good example of that. We had a small group at uh, Galen's house, and Micah was very grumpy because he hadn't slept all day. He had been out with mommy. He'd gone to play group. He had uh, gone shopping. He had gone to a Bible study. And Micah had not slept all day. And basically what he really wants and what he needs is a nap. 
but he doesn't think he needs a nap. He wants to go and play with everybody else outside where the Bible study is taking place. And so he just screams. I mean, he's just like banging on the door and screaming. And I'm taking care of Micah, so it's, it kind of seems like I'm a, an abusive dad behind, a, behind the closed doors. But the reality was he was just on a mattress and he just did not want to sleep. And so there are times where we don't know what we actually want. And so the Bible says that God is in a place where he's trying to show us how to really experience a different quality of life. But sometimes that quality of life comes in an element of submission. Now, this is just going back to the, uh, the idea of the Ten Commandments. Sometimes you can look at the Ten Commandments as an idea of restriction, and that circle can be the Ten Commandments. This is us, and this is sin. And that restriction, um, or that the Ten Commandments are kind of like a boundary. And basically, at a certain point in time, you can't move anywhere. You can just move in the same spot over and over and over again. And I don't know if you have ever, um, I don't know if you like change. Uh, Jin Ha has a laptop, and her screen, cha- her, her background screen changes every single day because she likes change. Now, can you imagine being stuck to one laptop your whole entire life with one screen, with one background screen? And you can look at a you can look at a paradigm like this and think, listen, if if this is what God is like, do I really want to experience eternity in a situation like this? And you know, you could look at that and say, well, that would get kind of boring. You could also look at the Ten Commandments like this, where certainly the Ten Commandments there's an element of boundary and restriction, and that restriction, of course, is from sin. But then uh, we looked at how the Ten Commandments can also be principles of love, and if you look at it in that in that um, from that perspective, love has no boundaries. And um, I looked for an uh, infinity sign. There wasn't one, and so I kind of made up my own. But that's supposed to be an infinity sign. And there's just no boundary to what you can really experience when it comes to love. And uh, for those of you who have been in more long-term relationships, I'm sure you can resonate with this in that you live with someone for 5, 6, 10, 20 years, and you're finding new ways of loving that person. And you're finding, you know what? There's something about this person that I'm actually learning as you guys spend time together. And so um, the Ten Commandments can also be seen in this way. Now, we've talked about uh, the biblical perspective of how submission and freedom kind of works together, but I wanted to look at a practical example. And uh, if you have your, actually, you don't need your Bibles, I've got it here. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 8, I want to look at one practical application as to how submission actually works. And I found uh, the greatest, or the, uh, I think something that everyone can relate to, is that relationship between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, or just you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, or just people relationships in general. And I found this passage to be very practical in describing and defining what submission looks like, and uh, also as to how, how it actually takes place. And so what I wanted to do is uh, maybe we'll start with uh, Ted, and uh, if we can each read one verse, and we'll just go across the room, and I think there's almost enough for almost enough for everyone here to read one verse. And um, yeah, if we can just read through this passage, and then uh, I kind of want to uh, explore some of the concepts here. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. We may see your respectful and pure conduct. You should know your son work pains to make your sons beautiful, such as the way you will take care of the wounded or the dressing room. Uh, but let your uh, 
this is how the holy women um, who vote in God used to uh, used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. All right. Now, I remember in high school, I would see a verse like this, and my friends would kind of chuckle together, like, ha, 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 like the females need to submit to the males. After all, I think the text says that they are the weaker vessel. And so we would kind of raise our fingers, and we're like, you know, in our chauvinistic way, woman, you better submit, that type of a thing. And we, we kind of got a kick out of that. And uh, anyway, there's kind of this negative... Um, feeling when you think of the word submit or that word submission and generally if if a guy comes to a girl and his pickup line is hey like how do you feel about submitting to me that's probably not the best way to start a relationship with someone right and yet in this passage Peter's uh, advice is if you really want to experience a blessing uh, which is what's supposed to happen at the end of this kind of submitting then well you have to learn how to submit and so um, yeah, there's this negative um, approach to this word submission. And what I want to do is actually go through this passage together. And first, we're going to look at what submission is not. And then we're going to look at what submission is. So the first thing uh, that I'd like to bring your attention to is that um, submission is not agreeing with everything that your husband says. And basically what... Uh, what we're going to find out is when when Peter talks about submission, it's actually not uh, um, an exclusive gender's responsibility, and we're gonna we're gonna see something interesting here. But anyway, notice here the context of submission is likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. In other words. There, are going, there is an instance in the church um, that Peter is writing to where the husbands are unbelievers and the wives are the believers. And so Paul is trying to give some advice, or excuse me, Peter is trying to give some advice as to how the believing woman can win the heart of her unbelieving husband. And Peter says the best way to do this is to submit. Now, of course, the obvious point is that the two are going to have differences, right? The husband does not believe in the gospel. He has heard the word but chose not to believe, and yet uh, the wife has, has made the decision to obey the word. And so basically there are going to be some differences, and the wife does not have to do everything that the husband says because the two live different lives. Uh, the second thing that submission is not, submission does not mean that you leave your brain at the door, or you leave your brain at the wedding altar, or you leave your brain at the wherever that relationship starts, and you just become a reflector of what everything that the other person wants. Obviously, um, her thinking was not governed by his thinking, 
she made all the, she made different decisions in her life, and so there's a difference there. And so the decision-making power belongs to the wife. And I think generally when you think of the idea of submission, submission is given to the weaker person in that relationship, right? Who has more influence? The person who does not have to submit. But what we find here is the opposite. The wife, who is the believer, who is more mature, is to submit to the unbelieving husband. And so, basically, uh, the decision-making power lies with the person who is submitting. The third thing uh, of what submission is not is, submission does not mean avoiding change. And I think it's easy to say, listen, there's a difficult decision that has to be made between these two people, and to avoid controversy, to avoid change, I will submit because I don't want to make things difficult. But if you look at the context of this conversation, notice the idea of submission comes so that you can basically so that she can be an influence to her unbelieving husband. And so Peter is saying, do you want to make a change in the relationship? Do you want to experience something that you have not experienced? Then submit. And I guess the challenge is, well then, isn't that a little bit manipulative? Because if you're just doing something to get something that you want, then how is that a spiritual positive uh, teaching to kind of share with everyone? And I guess the challenge is the consistency of that submission. Because if you are consistently submitting to the other individual, then it doesn't become a manipulative thing because you are losing your own interest. And so Peter shares this principle of consistent submission. So now let's look at a few things as to what submission actually is. We looked at what submission is not. Let's look at what submission is. Now, if you look here at verse 7, notice it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. Now, my question is this. What does it mean to show honor to a woman? Now, when I think of honor, I generally think of royalty or uh, acknowledging that somebody has a position of uh, priority. And so here, Paul says, husbands, honor your wives, basically, or men, honor women, or whatever relationship that you can put into there, um, you can chuck that in there. So notice, Paul, Peter starts out by saying, wives, be subject to your husbands, but then later on he says, husbands, show honor to the woman, and he kind of chucks in that weaker vessel thing in there, and we'll, we'll, we'll address this here in a little bit. But what I want to uh, move forward to is, he says, since they are heirs with you. Now, an heir is kind of like, that word is used whenever you're talking about royalty, right? And there are some versions that say, since they are joint heirs with you. Or in other words, you could almost say, he's saying, listen, give them priority because they are your equal. And so there is this uh, teaching in the Bible that um, in the life to come, there is this, uh, basically, we're going to be joint heirs with Christ. Jesus is the king of the universe, and he extends his rulership and his authority to us, and he basically says, look, you be my joint heir. And Peter is saying, men, you remember something very important. The women are your joint heirs. And so when you think about this idea of submission, the foundation of submission, the foundation of giving um, priority to another person is based off of the fact that they are your equal. 
And so he's saying, remember that they are your equal. If equality is not in the forefront of our minds, then it is impossible to give submission because we will always feel that someone is inferior. This is the second point as to what submission is. Um, submission is the willingness to understand the other person at the expense of yourself. Notice Peter says, live with your wives in an understanding way. There is one thing that I struggle with as, I don't know if I should blame myself being a male or maybe I should just say because I'm stubborn, but whenever Jinnah and I have a disagreement, like we have different personalities, we have different ways of thinking through things, and we approach problems differently. And I almost, it's not 100% of the time anymore, but there's still a high percentage of the time where I just think she's wrong. And I kind of think my way is the right way of thinking, her way is the wrong way of thinking, and I don't know why she's doing this this way. And so uh, what happens is uh, Jinha is like cooking pasta, and I'm saying, I think that you should add salt, or you should... Uh, do this process first, and she'll say, no, you do it this way. And basically, you kind of come to this standstill over pasta, and it's kind of like, all right, like, and, and I just end up thinking she's wrong. And so basically, um, <laughs> it's one thing to approach a problem that way. It's another thing to say, hey, I'm willing to see, th- see, through, see this problem through your perspective. I want to understand you. And so uh, an element of submission is understanding. Um, thirdly, what submission is, submission is just as much a lifestyle as it is an act. If you look here at the top of chapter 3 and verse, uh, verse 2, it says uh, that your husband may be one without a word, without a word, but by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And that phrase is kind of communicating Lifestyle. It's how you live your life. It's not just one act of submitting, saying, okay, you can win this round. Submission is something that's completely deeply embedded in your heart, and it's, uh, it's something that's part of, a part of your character as opposed to uh, just an act. And finally, there are times where submission says no. And so obviously, um, the husband is an unbelieving husband here in the example that's given at the beginning of the chapter. The wife is a believing wife, and there are times where the wife says, no, this is something that I cannot do. Usually when you think of submission, you think, I have to let go of all the choices that I have, and I have to say yes to everything. And there are times when submission says no. So this is a description of uh, submission. And what I want to go into is how submission actually takes place. What if both parties think that they are um, well, what if both parties think that the other party should submit? Um, I agree submission is important, and I think that you should submit. And I remember uh, having a conversation one time. Uh, Jinha and I were in the car. We had, a, we had a brief argument, and we were just about to go into church. And in my mind, I was thinking, you know what? I submitted last time. I think she should be the one to submit this time. And a funny thing, after Jinha and I made up, I found out she was thinking the same thing. She was like, you know what? I submitted before, it's your turn to submit. And what happened is neither of us submitted. And so we walked into church, we went through the whole church service, we were a little bit kind of, there's a little bit of a emotional distance there, even though we're sitting right next to each other. And after church service, I go to her and I'm like, all right, this is why I'm upset, blah, 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 blah. And she says, this is why I'm upset. And I was like, and by the way, I thought that you should have been the one to submit. She's like, yeah, you know, I was thinking the same thing about you. <laughs> and so how do you, 
how do you get to the point where you are saying, okay, well, I will submit. And if you look at the end of verse 6, Peter gives the example of Sarah and Abraham. And he says, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. In other words, the way that you get to the point where you are willing to submit is when you are fearless or when you have security. And I think one of the greatest challenges of submission is the fear of the unknown. What happens if I put myself out there? What it inevitably does is it makes you vulnerable. If you say, okay, I am willing to see things through your perspective, I submit in this area. The question is, what will that person then do with the power that I've given them? And there's a sense of fear. Now, here in the Christian context, uh, the Bible is implying that the person who is submitting is a believer. And I think the one benefit that the believer has in this idea of submission is that there is someone who has always submitted before we have ever had to. And that person is God. And if you think about the Bible, and you think, out the, think about the many times where uh, there are examples of God's people coming to a place of stubbornness and an unwillingness to change, God submits. Uh, I give the example, there's this uh, story of Israel wanting a king. And if you go through uh, the books of First uh, and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, there's a story of how the structure of the Israelite nation changes because of the desires that they have in their lives. And they look at all the other nations around them, and they see that every other nation has a king. And so they come to the then leader named Samuel, and they come to this guy, and they say, Samuel, we want a king. And Samuel feels so rejected because he's not a king, but he is the leader. And he's kind of thinking, why, why has this happened? And God speaks to Samuel, and he says, Samuel... I understand what Israel wants. Give them a king. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. So think about this. Here is God. He is the king of the universe. He's created planet Earth. He can do whatever he wants. And then the people that he has created comes up to him and they're like, you know what? We want this. We want change. And God can just kind of snap his fingers and then wipe everybody from existence and then start over again if he wants to. And yet, the king of the universe basically goes, I will submit. Here's another story. In John chapter 13, verses 3 and 4, this is the story of Jesus and the closing scenes of his life. Um, the passage goes like this. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Now, this verse uses very encompassing words like all. So at the end of Jesus' time on earth, basically he knows he has been given all authority, all power to do whatever he wants. He is in the position of authority. And the question is, what does he do? Well, he lays aside his outer garments. He takes a towel, ties it around his waist, and then he pours water into a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet. So Jesus, who is in the position of power, who's in the position of authority, stoops and submits to 12 stubborn men who basically don't understand this idea of humility, who don't understand this idea of submission. And he submits. There's another passage, if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. And I didn't put it up here, 
but if you open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. And the Bible gives this uh, illustration of what Jesus had to go through. And it says this, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And so this text says, here is God. And Jesus is equal to God, yet he humbles himself and he submits himself. And he becomes a humble servant. And in the text, there are four times where Jesus humbles himself, lowers himself, submits himself, lowers himself. Over and over and over and over again. And then the text ends by saying, but God exalts him. So you see there's this balance of submission, and at the same time, there's great freedom. Because... God basically says, I control everything. If you follow my principles, I'm going to do something that you cannot do. And so the idea is this. For the believer, how do we submit to one another in a relational setting, in a church setting, even in a work setting? How do you submit to somebody who is stubborn, who makes your life miserable, who creates boundaries so you can't really do that which you really want to do? And God's answer is submit to one another because I have submitted to you. And if you look and dwell on the example of Christ, the fact that Jesus leaves heaven, which I have no idea what it's like to live in eternity past, to have absolute security, to have perfect communion with uh, the Father and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, there are people who um, basically do not want to submit, so I will submit to them. And he lowers himself. And basically, when Jesus does it, he doesn't have anything to lose, but rather he gains everything. And so the lesson for us is when we're at the point where we have to decide whether or not we're going to be vulnerable, the question is, is this really worth it? And when you make yourself vulnerable, won't it hurt you? Won't it limit your options? Won't it restrict you? And the Bible's answer is, you'll find something incredible when you learn how to submit to one another. I, I've been giving like so many examples of Jinha and I arguing, but here's one in, one example where where <laughs> where we actually learned how to how to make a decision. And actually, just in general, this happens after every single argument that we have. But <laughs> what happens is either herself or myself will come to the other individual, and we are basically deadlocked. I don't want to move. She doesn't want to move. And you have to basically decide. Do I want to put myself into that place of vulnerability? And in the back of our minds, we know it's the right thing to do. She knows, I, I know that she loves me. She knows that I love her. And at the same time, like you're battling out the pride and selfishness that we all have in our lives. And basically, one of us will come to the point where they'll say, 
hey, look, I'm, I'm really sorry. <laughs> Actually, this last week, um, I was in charge of taking care of Micah, right? And uh, Jin Hao walked in right as I was doing something that I shouldn't have done. And so I, I had, I had um, a bottle of mixed apple juice and water, right? And Jin Ha hates it when I put the bottle in my mouth and I test it first and then give it to Micah because, you know, I've got germs in my mouth and, like, I think I had a canker sore. <laughs> I was just kind of like, and then I gave it to Micah right afterwards. <laughs> and so Jin Ha's kind of like, what is he doing? And then at the same time, what she says to me is, you know babies aren't supposed to have fruit juice because it has concentrated, you know, sugar in it. And I was like, it's watered down. If you have juice and you have water, it dilutes. And so we argued over feeding my apple juice. So, so basically we're at this point, and I'm like, in Korean we use this word called bijod, and it just means you're kind of like, you're just frustrated a little bit. Like, man, what's your problem? Like that, that kind of a feeling. And so for you know, a good 10, 15 minutes, I'm thinking, what's her problem? Like, I know what I'm doing. Like, I can, I, I know how to feed my son apple juice. And I'm just kind of grumpy away. I'm like putting clothes in the closet and just, and then Jin Ha comes around the corner and she, you know, I'm like, here's the closet door in, in our room. And she kind of peeks behind and she's like, I'm really sorry. And the reality is, I did have a canker sore in my mouth. Should I have been, you know, putting the bottle in my mouth and chucking it in Micah's mouth? No, <laughs> like, probably not, right? And, but it took her to take that first step to say, hey, look, I flipped out and I really shouldn't have, and I am sorry. And in, in the context of this story, she is the one that's exhibiting a more mature behavior, and she puts herself in a vulnerable place, and she says, I am sorry. Now, I have the choice to take advantage of that vulnerability and say, you're right, you're sorry. Like, how, you know, how dare you talk to your husband that way? You're supposed to submit, you know? <laughs> and, you know, I, I could respond in that way, right? Or I can hold on to my grudge, or I can listen to what she's saying and say, you know what? Like, I, actually, I, I know why you're upset. And, you know what? I, I shouldn't have put the bottle in my mouth, and I shouldn't have, you know... Anyway, and, and so I, too, then respond because, you know, she's come up to me, and I can tell she's genuinely sorry. And, you know, she's like, she doesn't want us to be you know, have negative feelings towards each other. And so I, I, I stand in, in front of her and I'm thinking, man, I should have been the first one to apologize. <laughs> and now I'm thinking, it's like, it's okay. And then like, but there's still like, you know, a negative feeling. So I'm kind of like, it's okay. When really I probably should have just like hugged her. And later on we made up better. But at the moment there's kind of, yes. So there's this degree of two parties putting themselves in a vulnerable position and the Bible teaching is when you put yourself in that position, you'd be amazed as to what actually happens because what you'll find is when you are right and you know you're right and you're entitled to a certain right, you actually become more restricted because you lose out on what could happen from that relationship. And so um, you can be right and be restricted or you can submit and experience freedom. And the Bible is presenting this idea of freedom, but certainly there, there are restrictions. And so the more you think upon Christ, the more you'll realize um, how much he has restricted for you and how much life he experiences for himself, and he wants to share that with us as well. And so the encouragement is to 
do the same, to submit to one another in, at the moments where we're um, going head-to-head where you feel like, you know what, they could be doing something a little bit different or, you know, I don't, I don't like the way my manager is um, deciding how I spend my time right now or um, I don't like the way that uh, my husband, boyfriend, friend is uh, treating me right now or uh, it, could be, it could be anything. And uh, basically the message for today is the challenge is to put yourself in a vulnerable place. And even if it's a spiritual matter, if there's something you know that God wants to, God wants you to give to Him, and the question is, man, if I let go of this thing, I feel like I'm gonna, my options are restricted or limited, and you would be amazed at the kind of freedom that is given. And the challenge is being consistent with that submission, because you may not see the results that you want immediately, but the result of consistent submission. Uh, the promise is freedom, and that's where God interacts, where you experience God in a way that you could not um, unless you put yourself in that vulnerable position. So as you think about these things, um, yeah, I, I hope and pray that you'll be blessed. And as you submit, uh, my hope and prayer is that you'll experience more freedom as well. So may God bless you. Actually, for today, um, there isn't there isn't a song of response but what I do want to do is to have a moment of silence. And uh, just in the quietness of the room, I'll invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And I want you to think through, is there a relationship that I have with somebody where I'm experiencing restriction, where, where submission is applicable? Or is there something between you and God where God is asking you to submit something, where um, when you submit that you can experience freedom and peace in your life and what I want you to do is or what I want to invite you to do is just to spend a thoughtful moment with God and uh, just kind of reflect on this on this is there any area in your life where you can experience or give submission Um, and my prayer for you will be that you'll experience freedom as a result so let's have a thoughtful moment of prayer and then I'll close the prayer at the end Father God, as you've heard our prayers and as you've heard our life circumstances that have caused stress, that have caused caused fear, anxiety, uh, Father, whether it's relational, whether it has something to do with work, or it might even be something here at church where we feel uh, just like we've been wronged, I pray that um, in submitting to you, and in submitting to one another, that we would really experience that abundant life that you've promised us. And 
Father, it's so difficult to look at those restrictions and look at those sacrifices. And so many times we feel like we have something to lose. Um, and at the same time, this is where we acknowledge you as God, that you have more power. Um, you are more powerful than our circumstances. And uh, Father, I pray that in the process of submitting to you and in the process of submitting to one another, that we would experience that which you've promised. And that's freedom, to experience compassion, to experience empathy, to experience peace. Um, and as a result, may both parties be changed. May the ones who are submitting be changed in the likeness of you, and may the ones who are being submitted to uh, be softened in their hearts. And uh, Father, as, uh, as one of the pastors here at this church, my prayer is that you would teach me submission. Um, and so I pray that you would uh, bless us as we think about your word throughout the day and as we interact with one another. May we uh, really uh, be able to encourage one another through this church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.